Hey, Kevin. What's up, Tim? I always said if we kept fighting this war on Christmas, it would eventually go nuclear. Tim, I think you're being super critical. Welcome to another episode of the Supercritical Podcast, where we delve into the fun and oftentimes nonsensical way pop culture portrays nuclear weapons. My name is Tim Westmeyer, someone who studies nuclear weapons and works on nuclear nonproliferation for a living. I'm not joined by Gabe, my usual podcast co-host today, because he is busy doing flight drills with Santa's reindeer to help whip them into shape in time for Christmas. But luckily, I am joined instead by returning podcast guest, Kevin. Kevin, welcome back. How's it going, Tim? Doing great, man. Uh, it's great to have you back. People who have previously listened to the podcast will remember you as the first person that went out on our nuclear war card game episode. But to be fair, your wife did turn on you in the episode. It happens. It, better in the games than in real life, I say. Yeah, but you uh, you recovered and you came back on for our Back to the Future episode. Uh, so great to have you back here again. And it's particularly... You know, very timely. Uh, you know, it's a, it's the holiday season here, depending on kind of whatever holiday you celebrate here at home. But, you know, we're going to get into the spirit, uh, the holiday spirit that is the only way that I know how. We're going to talk about the weird Al Yankovic song, Christmas at Ground Zero. It's Christmas at Ground Zero. The button has been pressed. The radio just let us know that this is not a test. Tenth and final track on the 1986 album Polka Party. Kevin, you're the perfect guest that I could think of to have on this episode because you are a karaoke phenom. You know, you're able to to kind of meet your future wife at a karaoke, you know, competition. And again, I'm not sure if the Weird Al catalog was what wooed her over to you, but I think it's a good to have you here on this particular episode. Well, I mean, technically we met at an 80s cover band concert uh, where uh, we were okay. celebrating my karaoke teammate's birthday. But my now wife quickly became a regular supporter of our competitive karaoke team. Now that I think about it, that 80s cover band really does need to up its Weird Al game. Put that into the rotation. It's pretty great. You sung uh, a karaoke song uh, during your wedding, which was beautiful. It wasn't a Weird Al song, though, so I think uh, it, it was still very classy. I appreciate it. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed it. This is the second of our podcast episodes that we've done on music, uh, which is, you know, surprising to me because while I do enjoy music, uh, I'm a, I am not a music historian, uh, but I am a nuclear person, so I do look for that kind of stuff when we cover these uh, kinds of episodes. Uh, previously, we've done the song 99 Loop Balloons or 99 Red Balloons by Nina from that song from 1983, uh, which was about a potential accidental nuclear war or over East and West Berlin. Check out that one out. It's a lot of fun. Will Satron uh, was the guest on that particular episode. Uh, so we'll get into this one now, though, because this Weird Al song is, is less well-known, I would say. Would you agree? Than 99, you know, Red Balloons? There are certainly fewer than 99 Luftballons in this song. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, in some ways, it's just it's just as catchy. Right. Probably, but definitely more appropriate for the holiday season. It brings out the jolly side of nuclear war. Yeah, well, it, everybody's getting in on this. Even North Korea is getting in on this holiday spirit. Uh, they're getting in the act. They've promised the United States, according to some recent reporting, a quote-unquote Christmas gift at the end of the year if the United States does not give in on nuclear talks. Just a little bit of history here. In 2017, North Korea referred to its first test of an intercontinental ballistic missile as a quote, gift for the United States. And they did it on our 4th of July holiday. I think they have a calendar of all of our different celebrations and holidays, and they like to peg their testing to our holidays, making sure that we never get to stop working. The Supreme Leader just loves his nuke gift puns, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So I, and while I, it's hard for me to, to fault him on that one. So this, uh, by the way, the episode, um, you know, it's about music. So it's appropriate that our podcast is on Spotify. So you should go on uh, that to check it out. We're also on iTunes youtube google play music soundcloud all that kind of stuff um and our website supercriticalpodcast.com has a list of songs about 
Nuclear War that I put some in there, but a lot of the actual songs that are there were recommended to us by uh, people who listen to the show on our, uh, I think it was through email, through Twitter, and through our Facebook page. So check that out if you need another mix for your holiday season. So let, let's talk a, a moment before we get into the song itself about Weird Al Yankovic or, or Alfred Matthew Weird Al Yankovic, because some people may not can either know who he is or may not know the full extent of kind of why he's doing a song about Christmas at Ground Zero. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, Weird Al? Because are you are you a Weird, Weird Al guy? Did you grow up with his music? You know, I uh, I didn't. I didn't get into uh, Weird Al as much until the '90s, but uh, which you know, obviously after this, this this particular album. But uh, I will also point out that Weird Al Yankovic is the son of Frankie Yankovic, a polka king. So um, it's only appropriate that his son kind of followed in his footsteps, uh, and I'd say left well beyond them in many regards. But hey. Hmm. All the love for both Frankie and Al Yankovic. So, so what does he do? What is he known for? He does he straight up regular singer like a Frank Sinatra type? What is what is his <laughs> what is his deal? Oh, you know, I'd I'd say the the more traditional and perhaps serious polkas. So the Pennsylvania polka is a popular one. Mm. So, uh, but as back to Al, uh, since 1976, he's been a prolific singer and songwriter best known for making parody songs that take a specific well-known song or style of music and then uh, comments on pop culture and current events through music, uh, often with the glorious prowess of his accordion. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good on the accordion. He knows how to rock that pretty well. <laughs> he sure does. I know some of my favorite uh, Weird Al uh, hits, the, the big hits, uh, Amish Paradise, which is a, um, I think it's a parody of, is it Coolio? Coolio's Gangster Coolio. in Paradise? Gangster's Paradise, Gangster's yeah. Paradise. That's uh, That might be the first entry point for me as a young man uh, into the Weird Al world. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know I shun fancy things like electricity. Uh, but he's got a couple. What he's got a couple of Michael Jackson hits that he that he parodied as well, like uh, like Eat It instead of Beat It, Like a Surgeon instead of uh, Like a Virgin, the Madonna song, and Pretty Fly for a Rabbi was one of my favorites too instead of pretty fry for a white guy. So sometimes it's direct puns to some sort of phrase and he just kind of changes the lyrics and comments on a recent piece of pop culture or it's the stylings of someone. So for example, Phil Spector. Like, I don't know a lot about Phil Spector other than Al Pacino played him in a movie, he had crazy hair and he probably murdered some people. But before he did all those things, he was what a, a big producer of music and he did a bunch of these 1960s, 70s Christmas songs. The kind of stuff you hear on the radio probably sometime in like late October, early November, getting ready for Christmas. He was responsible for some of those things. So this song, Christmas at Ground Zero, is in that, you know, style. Oh, yeah. Christmas at Ground Zero, as you mentioned, it was on the, the album Polka Party that had some good, good, great, great hits like Living with a Hernia instead of Living in America and Addicted to Spuds instead of uh, Addicted to Love. Some really great stuff here. Shout out to the late Robert Palmer. You have a favorite uh, Christmas song to sing when you have to sing that for karaoke? You, you want to pull, pull out of the, the jukebox? Ooh, uh, you know, if I'm just if I'm just going Christmas classics, I'm I am pretty partial to Willie Nelson's 1979 cover of Blue Christmas. Hmm, it's a pretty pretty great one. From my understanding of the way you all do karaoke, it's you are often playing the role of like a weird owl in the sense that you want a normal song, you know, quote unquote normal song, and you guys bring the joy and the parody to it, whether it's dressing up in costume or, you know, maybe changing the lyrics a little bit, but you guys don't tend to do the, the Weird Al songs themselves. I mean, so I I did many seasons of competitive karaoke, and let's just say people take it very seriously. And so the costumes, the choreography, the the quality of songs, and the quality of singers is... Well, I mean, it's all over the place, too, but it's also pretty great. So Weird Al music certainly lends itself well to uh, theatrics of competitive karaoke. Cool. Well, that, that that's great, because uh, the one thing that I like a lot about the Weird Al song here, Christmas at Grand Zero, sure, the song's great, but the, the music video is something everybody should pause the podcast right now, go on the internet, YouTube, wherever you want to go to and look for this, because it's truly a delight. It's basically... 98% stock footage, because apparently, um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but they didn't give him a budget for a music video, but he's like, I have to do a music video for this song. It's it's great. It's mostly stock footage of Cold War propaganda films mixed with 
uh, some of the here's how you survive a nuclear war by hiding under a desk videos, the old duck and cover civil defense type things, and then a mix of like happy-go-lucky Christmas montage. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll get into... Uh, this particular uh, song here. Um, so this song is, this is how it's described in the liner notes of the Weird Al Yankovic box set, which came out in 1994. Christmas at Ground Zero, a cheery little tune about death, destruction, and the end of the world. This is how Al describes it. Ever since Eat It, his record label has been trying to get him to do a Christmas record. And Weird Al says, I think this song is a little different than what they were expecting. Some radio stations actually banned the record. Somehow reasoning that most people don't want to hear about nuclear annihilation during the holiday season. You know, I just don't get that. I mean, tis the season, Tim. Tis the season. (laughs) This is all falling on death ears to me. So the record label wasn't even interested, as we mentioned, uh, making a video. But Weird Al insisted on this. He ended up directing the video himself, which is his first uh, video director's credit. So regardless of uh, the fact that some radio stations didn't play the song, one of Weird Al's, where he got his start, was on this syndicated radio program called Dr. Demento, who also did a bunch of parody-type songs. Uh, He claimed that Christmas at Ground Zero was one of his most requested Christmas songs, including, you know, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Also a Christmas classic. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, So Weird Al, this is a, he was interviewed in Vulture Magazine in 2014 about this song. And he said, it was simple enough video to direct. 98% of that video is basically stock footage clips from the public domain. And there was only one one shot at the end, which is easy enough for me to direct. And I I think he ends this interview with my record label at the time was pushing for me to make a christmas album and i was like really you want me to do a christmas album here's the kind of songs it would be full of if you make me do a christmas album after christmas at ground zero they stopped asking which yeah i do find that kind of funny because 10 years later weird al released the delightfully dark the night santa went crazy which (laughs) was also a uh released as a single with uh, christmas at ground zero as the b-side so kind of connecting those dots over the course of about 10 years. Great song. <laughs> what, what, is that, what is some of the things that Santa did that when he went crazy? Uh, did he start a nuclear war or is it a little lower class? He did start a nuclear war, but uh, he did. Uh, there was some reindeer sausage. There were elves suffering from PTSD. Hmm. Yeah, it was uh, pretty wild stuff. But, you know, in typical Weird Al vein, a classic. Very joyful. The, this song is, if anything, it's joyful and... If uh, you didn't pay all that much attention to the actual lyrics of it, you could see this being played on uh, on the speakers at a grocery store while you're going to shop for your Christmas turkey. So let's get into the song proper. Uh, I guess I have to put a spoiler warning on here, but, you know, it's it's a song from 1980s, what did I say, 86? Yeah, it's been out for a while, and it's a song, and there's not really much to spoil, but nevertheless, if you want to listen to it, it's available on YouTube, and you can get it. It's only like three minutes or so, and you can enjoy that. Uh, here's the formats of what we'll do here. We will you know, intro the song by talking about the lyrics and the story of the song. Uh, we'll bridge into covering about the nuclear connections, the context of when it came out, some of the discussions and the themes that it talks about. And then we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll wrap it up here with some little outro discussions and some recommendations. And if we're lucky, Kevin has promised to maybe take his ukulele and play us a little bit of the tune. That way we can actually have a version of the song on the episode without violating any copyright rules, which sometimes happens on this episode because we talk about nuclear pop culture. <laughs> uh, so let's get into the nuclear verses here. Uh, I'm not going to really try to sing this, but I will. Uh, we'll run through this because there's not the song's not very long. It's mostly you know a repeating chorus and stuff. But let's let's get to the start of it. So it starts with "It's Christmas at Ground Zero. There's music in the air. The sleigh bells are ringing and the carolers are singing while the air raid silence blare." Pretty good start. You really get a sense of what's the theme of this. It, we know the time, right? We know the place. This is a pretty good start to the song. Right? It's, I mean, it just, it jumps straight out of the gate with Christmas. Mm-hmm. Kind of that, you know. Got some bells ringing. You got your, you got your, the image of bells. You got the image of uh, carolers. And then, you know, that air raid siren. It's perfect. So a good bit of context here that's important. So this, you know, when this came out in the 80s, you know, the term ground zero has definitely taken on a 
very distinct connotation now. You know, ever since the the nine eleven attacks uh, in New York City, that term has been meant to referring to the you know where that particular uh, terrorist attack occurred. Before that, it was used as a term for lots of things, but in the context of this song, you know what it means is the the aim point, the place that you want your bomb or missile to detonate. You know, it's the center of where the detonation, you know, where you want it to be or where, you know, sometimes if you miss it, where it ends up being. It is definitely, if you hear this song on the radio today, Word Owls is not prophetic. He's not talking about the ground zero. There's a different meaning for this. And I, I think it'd be kind of fun here because this is one of my things I enjoy a lot when I think about nuclear weapons policy and how you uh, have to plan or, you know, or the, the crazy extents that a planner will go to into justifying why we have as many nuclear weapons as we did during the Cold War. There is a concept that we have uh, or that, you know, war planners have in determining the, the precision or the accuracy of a ballistic missile. And it's called CEP, which is circular error probable. The, I got to do some of these calculations in grad school. I, I'm glad I didn't. Uh, I actually asked my mom to mail me my old TI-86 calculator because <laughs> I couldn't just do these calculations on like a wristwatch calculator or, you know, some other kind of tiny little side calculator. I wanted to use it with a powered machine. You should find an old Tandy from Radio Shack. Right. You know, I know. Are there Radio Shacks around here? Can we find some? <laughs> no, not anymore. Yeah, that might be harder to find. And you do that, and you also use a compass and a ruler and all that kind of stuff. So basically what you do is, you know, the CEP is defined as the radius of a circle, you know, centered at where you want your determined ground zero to be. And in this radius is 50% of the times you're, when you launch a missile, it lands within that radius. And 50% of the time, it lands outside that radius. Sometimes it can be really close to the, the radius, or other times it can be really far mm. away. But, you know, generally, 50% of the time, it will fall inside that or out. And if you want a more accurate missile, you want to get your CEP to be as low as possible, or else you're going to have to fire either multiple missiles or multiple warheads to a target to be more confident that eventually one of them is going to hit the thing that you want it to. Or alternately, you could have a much larger yield for the warhead, kind of like one of those situations where people say close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Same kind of thing. You can get kind of close if your weapon is has a larger explosive yield. Yeah, what are those, those overlapping circle charts? You know, just make more of the overlap. Yeah. Make the circles bigger, more overlap. Exactly. So as you can imagine, as you can imagine, uh, exact CEP figures for ballistic missiles are classified, but there are some pretty good estimates out there. The Minuteman 3, which is the current U.S. land-based ICBM, the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile that's still in effect today, the CEP is 200 meters. So that is the best, most accurate missile that's out there. It's still only accurate. If you want to, you know, think about it, these terms, if you fire a missile from somewhere in, say, uh, North Dakota or one of the other places where we have our missile fields, and it goes all the way to, to Russia... We can be fairly accurate that about half of the time it's going to land within a, a radius of 200 meters. Hmm. That's not bad. That's you know, when you're terrifying. When you're talking about space stuff, right? Um, and because that accuracy is so good, those weapons tend to only have warheads at around 300 kilotons. Very big, but not as large as some of these other ones we'll talk about. So the Trident II which is a, a submarine-launched ballistic missile in service today in our submarines, it is between 90 and 120 meters for CEP because those things tend not to fire. Um, they tend to get closer while they fire. It's not a... They still go, some, you know, go into space and everything, but they tend to be a little bit closer when they fire, and those can have even a smaller kiloton of, say, 100. But here, here's an example of a, of a different one. So the DF-5A, which is a China uh, ICBM missile, their CEP is a thousand meters, you know, two hundred for the Minuteman three mm -hmm. versus a thousand meters. So of course, the way one of the ways they can compensate for that is the warhead yield is four megatons. Oof. It's pretty big. Uh, there's a huge difference. I mean, three hundred thousand tons versus four million tons. It's a lot. Yeah, it'll do a little damage. We also have more accurate weapons like this, the U.S. Hellfire missile, which is a non-nuclear missile, and it doesn't travel nearly as far as an ICBM would. The reported CEP on that is four meters. Oh, wow. You can hit tanks and things with a, with a Hellfire missile. You know, because the idea here is you want to figure out if you're a war planner and you want to, uh, you know, you want to find your ground zero and you want to destroy the target you're trying to get to. You have to calculate, you know, we do... People who do this stuff do math. It's a lot of math. <laughs> so there's a there's an equation out there, 
uh, where the CEP is used as part of a calculation to determine whether or not the target will be destroyed. So that formula looks at a lot of different variables. It looks at the hardness of the target. So there's difference between, you know, the house that we're in here today, even though it's built sturdy with brick. It's different than, say, a bunker, which has... with you know, reinforced, hardened concrete, uh, something you would hide your nuclear missile in so that you would hope that you nothing would hit it and destroy it before you're ready to fire it. You know, there's different hardness factors there. It also looks at the yield of the warhead that you're using. It looks at the CEP. It calculates a, an estimate for what they call fracticide, which is if you have to fire multiple missiles and multiple warheads at a target, you have to do your best to time them so that the explosion of one of them doesn't destroy the other. Otherwise, you're just kind of wasting wasting them. Uh, and it looks at a couple other factors. And if you calculate these things together, you get what they call the single shot kill probability, SSKP. And that will determine, you know, if you fire one missile or warhead at a target, this is your reliability. This is how confident you can feel that what percentage of the times you're going to destroy the thing that you want. And if you want to increase that percentage, you can fire multiple weapons. Uh, you can do different combinations of, of, of strikes. You can have larger warhead yields. You know, you when you start to do these calculations, you can understand then, okay, I have as a war planner, the Russians have X number of silos and cities or maybe not cities, we're not supposed to target cities, but like say there's a, a military base that's near a city, right? So they have those places, they have these uh, mobile targets. Eventually you're like, okay, but I can't just have one warhead or missile per each of these. I need to have enough that my calculation will let me feel confident that if I have to take all of them out, here's how many I'm going to need. And if you have that as your basic philosophy and you go out and you find all kinds of targets out there, you can get into what happened during the Cold War where you have tens of thousands of of warheads out there and so does the other side because they'll have the same calculation as you yeah <laughs> that's pretty terrifying i guess that also explains why there are so many yeah or were so many and you can you can either look at that and say uh well i'm a i have my calculator i'm a rational thinker i'm going to uh come up with the best estimate because i have to plan for the worst or you can do what a weird owl does and you know repeatedly mock it over and over again which he <laughs> does pretty well you know in this song even though we're just at the very beginning of the song, I think uh, I hope that was kind of interesting to think about when we talk about you know Christmas at Ground Zero and how your Christmas may be ruined by these things. This is why there's someone out there. I don't know if it's necessarily like a, an elf somewhere in the North Pole, but North Pole, but someone is checking the list and uh, running their calculator and making sure that it's you know accurate and determining who's naughty and nice and who you're going to fire weapons at and how many. Yeah, well, I mean, I think my takeaway from all of this is make math, not war. There we go. So the song continues. It's Christmas at Ground Zero. The button has been pressed. The radio just let us know that this is not a test. And the only thing I want to add here is that, you know, it's not a button, but a button's a fun shorthand. We talk about this all the time. The nuclear football is more of a, the thing that we always imagine that, you know, is a real thing. It follows the president around when they travel, uh, but it doesn't have a button. If you push that button, that doesn't exist. It doesn't fire a missile out of the ground. It's a communication system. It's basically a really fancy phone that allows the president to authenticate who they are. They tell the, what the order that they want to do, and then that sets off the chain of, of actions. Usually, you know, goes to the National Command Center, and then those orders are given out as emergency action messages then things are happening but usually still even then it's not usually a button uh in a silo it's it's two keys that people will press and hold at the same time and that tends to be the thing to fire it but that's not as much fun as the button has been pressed and we know it's not a test <laughs> it's pretty great you know i think another thing's interesting too they talk about how oh the radio just let us know that this is not a test so th this is based off of uh some real stuff here uh so starting in 1951 u.s president truman uh, decided that there was not a really good way for us to warn the country of an incoming attack. You know, you imagine Pearl Harbor happened. There were some, you know, signals that there's a strike incoming, but there was no good way of sending that message to everybody, you know, in the field or at home, trying to let them know that they should they should seek shelter. So they created this system called Conrad, which is control of electromagnetic radiation. And it's the way that the U.S. government would let the public know during the Cold War of incoming attacks. So what civil defense would do is they would interrupt TV and radio signals. At that point, mostly radio signals. Uh, everybody would sit around and, and listen to the radio. I mean, do you have a radio in your house currently, Kevin? Uh, I mean, I suppose there's one built into my stereo, but... Uh... Mm. Doesn't doesn't get the tuner doesn't get used too frequently. Yeah, it's not just always on listening for for things. No, no. if it was on, uh, it would be interrupted in the case of an incoming attack. At that point, people were concerned not about missiles; they were concerned about incoming bombers from the Soviet Union. 
who would likely fly over Canada and then, you know, strike their targets. It would shut off all of their communication on those radios and television programs, and it would tell people to turn their radio to a very specific channel. Radios made between 1953 and 63 all had little logos on them with the Civil Defense logo, and I'm looking at one of them now because Kevin and I just went in on an auction to purchase a Geiger counter, my first Geiger counter, Put a little Christmas gift to myself here. Beautiful little yellow box yeah. with the... Uh... With a nice silver shiny wand on top. Yep. And how would you describe this this civil defense logo? Ooh, it's got a it's like a blue circle with a white triangle in the middle, and in the white triangle is are the red letters C and D. So those logos would be on every radio, and you would t turn your dial to that particular frequency. You know, so that way, because you know when there's an incoming strike, you don't want to fumble around looking for the the right frequency. You would just turn to it, and then Conrad would would tell you what was happening and what to do. Conrad was eventually turned into the emergency broadcast system in 1963 after ICBMs. Uh, they, when they entered the, the, the scene, they were traveling a little bit too fast for what the Conrad system was able to deal with. But since 1997 in the United States, we now rely on what's called the emergency alert system. But there's some problems today. Like Kevin not owning a radio, most people today cut the cord when it comes to television or they don't have a radio. The worry is they're not going to get these these emergency alert systems. So that is why EAS, EAS is trying to rely more on like mobile phone alerts. So if people have gotten Amber alerts on your phone, there is a system in place um, to try to tie into that. Probably if there's going to be an incoming strike, that's going to be likely the way most people are going to find out about it is there's going to be a little bing on their phone, which, you know, this happened. In, in January 2018, uh, there was an EAS alert in Hawaii that sent out a false alarm that there was an incoming strike from North Korea. And not necessarily, maybe a, a belated Christmas gift if it's happening in January from the North Koreans. And people got really scared about this. It was about, uh, you know, 30 or 40 minutes before people got another message that said, no, I'm sorry, just, just kidding. If you want to know more about that, Gabe and I did a podcast episode like the same week this happened talking about the movie Ladybug, Ladybug, which is from the 60s, I think, which is a similar story about a, a false alarm. There was no mobile phones or anything. It was the false alarm actually came through the Conrad receiver. Hmm. So it all kind of kind of ties together there. This all leads me to a really important question, Kevin. How would you like to be told of an incoming nuclear attack what would be your the, the way you would prefer this particular piece of bad news to be delivered to you Ooh, that's a, that's a good question i suppose if my phone were to just start randomly playing christmas at ground zero <laughs> i'd get into it but then i'd wonder what on earth is going on maybe i should uh you know be concerned about this but at least it would be not like heart stuck in this pit of stomach uh well actually i think that kind of reaction is probably preferred mm -hmm. get people get people moving get people motivated to move i suppose that would be a great system but hopefully if that does happen at least weird al will get some sort of royalties mm -hmm. at that you know he'll get an extra piece of ration uh orders <laughs> in the bunker if they have to use his song for that so speaking of his song let's uh let's keep going here why don't you take over uh the next couple bits of lyrics here everywhere the atom bombs are dropping it's the end of all humanity. No more time for last-minute shopping. It's time to face your final destiny. They mentioned the atom bombs dropping. Atom bombs, uh, yeah, they certainly are bad. You know, they would, they, they suck. They'd mess up your day. But it's funny, you know, he mentions atom bombs, but uh, atom bombs usually refer to fission bombs. They're the first kind of bombs that were developed. Usually you use uranium for that, and they can certainly be very destructive but we're have a whole new world once thermonuclear hydrogen bombs were introduced where it uses fission to start a fusion reaction where you fuse together two light elements the lightest element that, that exists hydrogen when you fuse together those uh, two atoms then that actually produces a larger yield atom bombs just are city centered destroying weapons they would destroy you know, parts of a city, you know, but like blocks and blocks and blocks, but not the entire city, which is what a, a hydrogen bomb would do. Hydrogen bombs, you know, we're talking the difference between like an 18 to 50 kiloton yield versus a, you know, 200 kiloton to the four megaton style bombs. City leveling versus city, you know, center destroying stuff. Hmm. But the atom bomb definitely rhymes better when it comes to these kinds of songs. And it also fits the, the type of song as well. We're going to get into some duck and cover type things. Duck and cover is a, a silly concept when thinking about atom bombs, but it is a, a, a disappointingly and, uh, and really sad, futile concept when you think about hydrogen bombs. 
Carrying on. It's Christmas at Ground Zero. There's panic in the crowd. Pose that is rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can dodge debris while we trim the tree underneath the mushroom cloud. There's panic in the crowd. We can dodge debris while we trim the tree underneath the mushroom cloud. Poetic. That's pretty great. And then we get a little clip of, of Ronald Reagan uh, interrupting the song, telling us that the big day is only hours away now. I'm sure you are looking forward to it as much as we are. I think that was he's talking either maybe Christmas, but maybe also New Year. He's in front of a Christmas tree. I'm not even sure he's president. It's maybe <laughs> one of those things he did when he was still like governor of California or something. But it, it's nice. It's uh, very appropriate. You can see how it would fit the song very well. I mean, given the fact, yeah, 1986. Uh, so we have the, the, the song continues. Um, you might hear some reindeer on your rooftop. Jack frost in your window seal but if someone climbing down your chimney you better load your gun and shoot to kill Kapow. <laughs> it's christmas at ground zero if and if the radiation level's okay i'll go out with you and see all the new mutations on new year's day it's pretty great i like i like that that's a fun turn of phrase there <laughs> right but nevertheless most civil defense information guidelines uh if you're going to follow those they say minimum two weeks that's not an appropriate amount of time, but hey, why would let a nuclear war uh, mess with your New Year's Eve plans, you know? Mm, so one week's just not enough. Not enough. Okay. But we'll see. That's why we got our Geiger counter. Maybe maybe we'll be lucky enough. Hmm. And then we got, what, what's, the, what's the rest of the song here? We got a couple things here left. Again, it's Christmas at Ground Zero. Just seconds left to go. I'll duck and cover with my Yuletide lover underneath the mistletoe. I love that. And as this is happening, they, they show an old like cartoon of people kissing under a mistletoe. And if anyone plays the Fallout video game series, the style of animation there is very similar to the type of things you would see you know, in that game series. But so they mentioned Duck and Cover. I think it's appropriate to talk about Duck and Cover. Kevin, did you see any of these kind of duck and cover videos with the uh with the turtle bert the turtle doing his thing yeah definitely caught some some bits of those over over the years so duck and cover it was a it's a basically a public service announcement started in uh in 1952 it stars uh bert the turtle and he you know he's just minding his own business in the video he's walking you know down a, a street and this annoying monkey decides to attack him with a stick of dynamite and Bert he jumps into action he hides in his shell as both the monkey and the dynamite explode and completely get vaporized but but Bert's safe he ducked and covered he hid himself inside his his little shell there and every and everything's pretty great for Bert Duck and Cover is great. Uh, if you, it's also on YouTube. If you want to go check it out, uh, the video then goes from this car- cartoon of uh, I forgot to mention it's not a real monkey and, and t- tortoise. No, no animals were harmed in the making of that particular video, uh, but it does go into a live footage, uh, which is more like a public service announcement. Be sure and remember what Bert the Turtle just did, friends, because every one of us must remember to do the same thing. That's what this film is all about. And this public service announcement, uh, it will, it warns people how, you know, dangerous things are, but it also stresses that atomic bombs are just like any other dangers, like fires and car accidents. We have rules, Kevin, and if those rules are followed and we're prepared, we'll be fine. Kids just need to be prepared and they'll be okay. So it informs us that if you see the flash of a nuclear bomb detonation, basically what you're supposed to do is duck low hide near a wall, jump under a desk, fall in a ditch, you know, any of those kinds of things, and you'll be fine. They mention things like, well, a lot of the times when there's a nuclear explosion, there's lots of debris that will fly at you, or uh, there's lots of intense heat. So if you duck behind something or under a blanket or something, you'll be you'll be better than you were if you just stood there and looked at everything as it was happening. Probably, you know, not bad advice if you're dealing with an explosion nearby. Maybe it's even okay if you're luckily in a certain distance away from an atomic explosion, you should be okay. 
but it's really not that helpful when you're starting to deal with, as you mentioned, thermonuclear bombs, hydrogen bombs, things like that. You're, there's not much of a desk left if you're inside of a city when one of these things goes off. But it's a different different time and place. The video tells us how civil defense workers and you know other people in uniform will warn us of incoming attacks. The video sh tells us that you'll be listening for some klaxons and there'll be warnings and things like that as Willard Al mentions that, about the sirens. You may be in your schoolyard playing when the signal comes. That signal means to stop whatever you are doing and get to the nearest safe place fast. Always remember, a flash of an atomic bomb can come at any time, no matter where you may be. And this is where in the music video you see all these videos of kids uh, walking and then either they're on a bike or they're like all of a sudden built a flash and they jump into a fetal position near a brick wall or something. That's all from Deck and Cover. So Weird Al does a really great job of taking this very strong, iconic image from the Cold War. People who live through this particular time period, that is one of the first things when I talk about what do I do for a living, and also when this when the podcast comes up, people from that time period will be like, oh yeah, I remember duck and cover drills. That, that's the thing that they bring up when they talk about the experience. It's the Cold War and duck and cover drills. So that's very fun how he does a pretty good job of integrating all of those things into it. It's, it's a tricky thing when you have to live that level of preparedness, and you're teaching these things to children that they need to have that kind of level of preparedness that can't be anything but good, bad for them for their, the rest of their lives. It's a pretty crazy to think about. Well, I mean, just think about what's going on these days with active shooter drills. Right, I right. mean, that's a different, the same kind of idea. Yeah. Preparedness is comes in different flavors, but it's what what does that preparedness ultimately get you? We adults who have to go through these sorts of trainings as well. It's uh, it's flight then fight. Hmm. If, if all else fails, you got to take it face on. And I don't think you'd be taking a thermonuclear blast head on. So well, there is a lot of discussion in in the nuclear world uh, of do we need to start encouraging schools to do duck and cover drills again? Mostly because when you were doing duck and cover drills, you as a student and also as a parent of that kid we're starting to become more aware of the dangers of these of these things so you asked then your leaders to be more responsible or get rid of the bombs if we don't have those kinds of drills anymore people can put these things aside it's the kind of thing that weird al will joke about in a song it's not something i need to really be concerned about today but i'm thinking about that and when you combine the fact that there's this active a shooter drill um, lessons that people have to learn can you also throw on more duck and cover drills on top of that like that's crazy to think about a child having to deal with both of those two things at the same time but there may be a world not too far in the distant future where we're going to have to start combining those things together so this is how the song ends uh it's christmas at ground zero now the missiles are on their way what a crazy fluke we're all going to get nuked on this jolly holiday what a crazy fluke we're all going to get nuked on this jolly holiday. And then this is where we get the images of Weird Al and his friends hanging out with gas masks in the Bronx uh, with the last little bit here. The the sad thing, you know, to add in more bit of danger here, you know, the missiles are on the way, right? Well, the average nuclear missile takes about 30 minutes to make it between Russia and the United States. And the Polka Party album itself is only 31 minutes long. Mm, it's too bad uh, Christmas at Ground Zero didn't start at, or wasn't the... Uh opening track of that right. album then you'd know once christmas at ground zero starts playing you've got this album to go before it's the pan well if you know the bombs uh, the missiles have just started like if you're lucky enough to know that you could put on the album and then the bombs would start falling in the middle of the of the song itself but if it does provide you some tips about what to do you might want to have that yeah early practical, on practical knowledge yeah so that's the song uh the legacy of, of this song um you know it's hard to tell because I don't hear it a lot on the radio, but I don't also listen to the radio. It's not on if I ask the, the Amazon Echo to play Christmas music. It never pops up. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about you. I don't know how your settings are set. But even for me, as the person, when I go on Amazon Prime and it l l recommends things to you, it's usually civil defense disaster footage and those kinds of stuff. But for me... It's not, you know, it's not there. Uh, but, you know, Weird Al has talked about how the song is really not on the radio anymore, particularly after 9-11, because, as we mentioned, the, the phrase Ground Zero has taken on a different meaning. Weird, Weird Al has said that the sad part is, I can't really play the song live anymore because too many people misunderstand the connotations of Ground Zero. It's not a reference to 9-11, obviously. It was written when Ground Zero just meant the epicenter of a, a nuclear attack. And the song itself, I don't think, was when it came out 
was particularly you know well received. It did break into the U.S. Billboard's top 200 at 177, but that's really low when it's compared to his other album. Uh, Word Al thought that his career was over when it didn't sell as well as they hoped, um, but fortunately for us, his next album, which was called Even Worse, did much better. <laughs> he now calls Christmas at Ground Zero a fan favorite, so I hope wherever he is, he's content these days about putting that out in the in the nuclear world and everybody else can hopefully get up to a point where they can understand the context of the song and also enjoy it around the holiday season like would you ever break it out in karaoke i mean if they have it on the uh on the karaoke playlist it's a uh, a great uh, great christmas classic if you ever need you know one song to to win the big competition at the last finals I don't, i'm not sure how this works <laughs> but if you need one to really go out strong on Ooh. You know, Weird, Weird Al's catalog certainly uh, can step up for that that momentous occasion. I'll learn the accordion and come in and help. So let's do a, our outro here. A couple of discussion questions about the the song itself. What do you think? Is it a good song? Like just by itself, for, forget the nuclear piece to it. Is it is it a good song? Is it something that you'll hum on the way home? Like what a what do you think about it? I mean, I, I have to admit that this recently was the first time I'd ever heard this song, heard of this song, yeah, yeah. or this entire album for that matter, and. Uh, I, I admit it was a fun album, and uh, and I enjoy the song. I feel like uh, Weird Al does a great job of taking, uh, you know, more thought-provoking topics and uh, making them fun, which is, you know, it's uh, not always easy to do, but I, I can appreciate that uh, he's, d at least while the Cold War was still going on, mm -hmm. he was making it fun and lighthearted, but also reminding people that it still was a thing, so... He does a pretty good job of trying to keep this on people's minds. Like he does what he does. He parodies something and comments on it that's in the it's in the news. And this was eighty six was a pretty you know dangerous time in in U S Russian relations. Maybe at some point this song will become sadly re relevant again. And Weird Al will come back and make a new song. He's good. He he's quite good. So I think it's I think it's good. It's a it's a the song itself is not like something I would hum or or tune i think i'd rather probably be walking around singing the Bert the turtle song <laughs> um but it is a pretty good job of taking stock footage that still people look at that stuff today and it still resonates with them I maybe mean, show a, a video footage that was meant to help to calm children and tell them how they can deal with and survive it'll be fine you'll survive a nuclear attack you just walk hand in hand with your friend and if you see a flash you jump down and you hide it on like a corner of a building or you'll hide uh, in a ditch if you're riding your bike just jump off the bike and hide near a ledge it'll be fine you just got to deal with these little things that stuff still resonates with people pretty strongly and i think it's a, the song is more effective because the parody relies on propaganda footage from another time i think weirdly enough that makes it more timeless than if he were to have the high budget that he needed to do and started to film little things here and there, I think I'll, it still works pretty well. Oh, I was going to say, I think that because they use that stock footage, it ages better than you might expect because these are kind of part of our culture at this point. And the fact that it's, you know, a bunch of black and white film clips and, yep. and everything, uh, as opposed to some weird mid-80s fake explosions or something like that, uh, I think it works really well. I did not know this song was from 1986. I, I've heard this song before because I'm a, I'm a weirdo uh, and I like Weird Al and I've, I've heard it a lot. But I, for me, Weird Al was just kind of always there. Like I remember seeing on MTV Amish Paradise. For me, that's like that's the time period when this when Weird Al for, was entering my life. And when I started to hear other songs like Christmas at Ground Zero, I didn't know it was from 86 and it was literally in the middle of the Cold War because I never associated Weird Al with that time period. I associated him with, you know, the 90s and the 2000s. Yep, me too. I, I just, uh, I think that uh, this song aside, even, uh, people should uh, dig back into Weird Al's uh, older stuff, his his earlier catalog, and uh, have fun with it. Cool. Well, let's uh, determine how fun this exact song itself was. We'll do our rating system here. We'd always like to have a consistent one to five rating uh, so that we can compare across all the different things we talk about. But I like to be super critical about the content, so I will also be super critical about our rating system. Uh, I've, I've crunched the numbers, and I would like to have us rate the song one out of five turtle shells. Because if you only have one turtle shell, sure, you can duck inside of it and be safe from an atomic bomb. But if you have five turtle shells and kind of a turtle shell turducken situation uh, layered on each other, you might even be able to survive a monkey that is, for some reason, armed with a thermonuclear bomb. 
I would give this song about a three point five. You know, like I said, it's fun. It's it's got, but it's you know, it doesn't have a huge legacy. It works really well with the stock footage and it helps it age very well. But for me, I would have loved to see where I'll uh, do another one with more puns and parodies of, of nuclear themes. I think this one it's it's great, but it's not as good as it possibly could be when I compare it to some of his other songs that I've enjoyed quite a bit. But uh, what about you? How many turtle shells would you give this one? Ooh, um, I'd say I'd give it. Four and a half turtle shells, or maybe I'll say four turtle shells and Bert's helmet. <laughs> there uh, we go. For for protective purposes. I could easily hear this song just tossed in the middle of all your Christmas classics on the the month long of uh, Christmas playing on the radio station, on your local radio station. Mm-hmm. I could easily hear this song in there, and if any person who just wasn't really paying attention would probably be humming along or tapping their toes and not realize what the song's actually about. So, I mean, as far as a Christmas song goes, I think it works really well. Now, as far as the content and how it holds up, sure, the references are a bit outdated in many regards, but I I still see it as kind of what it seemed like it was intended to do in the first place, especially when you consider the video footage. It's kind of a... history it's the historical side of what the uh, country was and the world was going through at the time uh, and leading up to when the song was produced so uh you know you've got all those references it's kind of a fun and nonsensical way to think about them and remember them but these were all real or connected to real uh issues in mm-hmm. in america at, you know during the cold war uh that's great well, if people like this song or they want to know more and experience more this holiday season that's related, I've, we've got a couple uh, recommendations here uh, you will check out. Uh, I will recommend three things. Uh, one, I, I recommended this on the last uh, music episode, and I'm going to do it again uh, because it's great. It's, it really does actually fit more with um, Weird Al's sensibilities, but it's the song by uh, Tom Lear, the We'll All Go Together When We Go. And I'm recommending this to everybody because I recommend it to Kevin, and now you're you're all on board with with Tom, right? right? I had never I had never heard of Tom Lehrer before, and I certainly hadn't heard uh, "We'll All Go Together When We Go." But this is perfectly in the vein of Christmas at Ground Zero. It's pretty great. Um, I will recommend "Amish Paradise" by Weird Al because that's my favorite uh, Weird Al song. And just so that it, we're not only talking about music here, I'm going to throw in another wonderful holiday movie: Santa with Muscles. A 1996 movie with Hulk Hogan. I remember as a kid, this was my one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's super dumb, but uh, in the vein of Weird Al and parodies and just the kind of world that we're living in, why not experience uh, the holiday with Santa with muscles? Mm. Kevin, if people don't want to watch Santa with muscles, what should they be doing instead? Ooh, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like when I was younger, one of the... Uh... One of the Christmas movies that we watched a lot uh, was The Night They Saved Christmas, um, probably circa around the same time this uh, uh, Weird Al album came out. But um, I think ultimately it was interesting because it was basically about this family who's trying to save Christmas from like some oil executive Mm. who's going to destroy the north pole or something like that uh it's been a really long time since i've seen it so um it's just kind of a in hindsight a a really interesting uh concept so figured i'll just throw that out there for those of you who've never seen it uh from weird al uh music perspective i you know always a always a big fan of uh his uh bad hair day album and uh and uh, running with scissors, lots mm-hmm. of fun. I was gonna say one song, one Weird Al song that I find myself referencing uh, quite frequently is Albuquerque, uh, which is one of his originals. But uh, it's, it tells a it tells a tale, and it tells a very long tale. Um, but uh, you know, if you want want something interesting, weird to listen to, uh, I'd say check that out. Terrific. Uh, and then I would I would just you know re- echo your recommendation of that Willie Nelson song uh, for Blue Christmas. Blue Christmas. That's a good one for that too. Kevin, thanks very much for joining us uh, on this podcast. Thanks uh, for having wa- me. I wanted to have this uh, song covered last year, but I didn't have the guest right. The timing didn't work, and everything kind of came together very well. So appreciate it uh, so much. Anything uh, 
people should should know about you that they should be looking out for? Just maybe more like listening for you at the next karaoke competition, right? Where there's a karaoke event going on at a bar or something. Uh, Maybe I'll see you out there. Terrific. Well, maybe we can uh, ask for one more uh, performance. Uh, Maybe you can play the song for us on the ukulele, the Christmas at Ground Zero, as I do our outro. And then you can kind of play us us off into the, the sunset. How about that? All right. Thanks, and happy holidays, all. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Supercritical Podcast. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or you want to tell us what we got wrong or at least where we got a little bit too weird, there are a couple ways you can contact the show. Supercriticalpodcast.com. It's got show resources, special features, and a contact page. We're also got a YouTube page where we got a bunch of bonus features like uh, you know extended cuts of conversations, things like that. We're also on Facebook, on Twitter, at Nuclear Podcast, and email supercriticalpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, this has been Tim Westmeyer. Kevin. And remember, if it's pop culture and radioactive, we're bound to get super critical about it. Have a good one. Kevin, play us out. It's Christmas at Ground Zero. There's music in the air. The sleigh bells are ringing and the carolers are singing while there's air raid sirens blare. It's Christmas at Ground Zero. The button has been pressed. The radio just let us know that this is not a test. Everywhere the atom bombs are dropping, it's the end of all humanity. No more time for last minute shopping, it's time to meet your final destiny. It's Christmas at Ground Zero, there's panic in the crowd. While we dodge debris, let's trim the tree underneath the mushroom cloud. The big day is only hours away now. I'm sure you're all looking forward to it as much as we are. You might hear some reindeer on your rooftop, or Jack Frost on your windowsill. But if someone's climbing down your chimney, you better load your gun and shoot to kill. It's Christmas at Ground Zero, and if the radiation level's okay, I'll go out with you and see all the new mutations on New Year's Day. It's Christmas at Ground Zero, just seconds left to go. I'll duck and cover with my Yuletide lover underneath the mistletoe. It's Christmas at Ground Zero, now the missiles are on their way. What a crazy fluke, we're gonna get nuked on this jolly holiday. What a crazy fluke, we're gonna get nuked on this jolly holiday. Well done, well done. Okay, that was great, man. We'll call that good enough.